Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 15th of May, 2023, the 24th of ER 5783. Hope you are well. Hope you are safe in your part of the world. Coming to you this morning from Gush Etzion, just south of Jerusalem, here in Judea, south of the eternal capital of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. This coming Friday, we will be celebrating Jerusalem Day, the 56th anniversary of the liberation of not only Jerusalem, let's remember, but also Yudava Shomron, Judea, Samaria, the Golan Heights, Gaza at the time, Sinai, and all the other territory Israel took back in the defense of war survival in 1967. The Arabs, by the way, today's May 15th, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on. They are commemorating today the Nakba, the catastrophe, when they try to ethnically cleanse this area of its Jewish population back in 1948 and failed to do so, and now consider it to be the great catastrophe. Let's keep in mind, by the way, for those who think that all of Israel's problems are because of these so-called settlements, a term I don't use, because of our control over Judea and Samaria, let's remember that they call what happened in 1948 the catastrophe and refer to Jerusalem Day and our victory in the Six-Day War as the Naksa, much less of a significant incident like a mini-catastrophe. The fact of the matter is that they don't want a Jewish presence here. The jihadists and, the, and our other enemies do not want our Jewish presence here. Not from 67, not on the 49 armistice lines, no lines. They don't want there to be a Jew, uh, Jewish presence here in the state of Israel. And we're not going to let that happen. We're just finishing here. Uh, another round of rocket attacks on the state of Israel and a military operation, this time against the PIJ, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad terrorist group, which lasted four or five days. And as of Saturday evening at 10 o'clock, I mean, it's already the ceasefire, which I'm going to talk about. It's already been broken several times. But as of Saturday night, 10 p.m. Israel time, Israel and the PIJ terror group reached a ceasefire after five days of violence reported here by JNS News. National Security Council Director Tzachi Anegbi, on instruction from the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, thanked Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi and expressed the appreciation of the state of Israel for Egypt's intensive efforts to secure a ceasefire said a statement from the Prime Minister's office in Jerusalem. During this latest round, and certainly will not be the last, the PIJ launched more than 1,250 rockets at Israel. The IDF hit 400 terror targets. And of course, we took out, Israel took out some leading members of the terror organization. One Israeli was murdered, was killed, Inga, Avram Yan, 80 years old. Hashem Yakom Dama, may God avenge her blood, 80 years old, was killed when a rocket fired from Gaza, struck a four-story building in Rehovot. 
That's just south of Tel Aviv on Thursday evening. That was the only Israeli fatality. An Arab worker, from ironically from Gaza, was killed in the Eshkol region by rocket fire. And again, last night, by the way, on Sunday night, another rocket fired. The terrorists said it was a technical malfunction, which actually actually means they have more rockets. They're pointed at Israel, and either somebody hit the wrong button or it just went off, they claim, by mistake. The ceasefire, by the way, was called at 10, and there were still rockets. There were still rockets being fired after 10 and even into the 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock hour on Saturday night, but... The question is, what now after this four or five day conflict with the, I guess, the second largest terrorist organization in Gaza after Hamas? What now? So, yes, we took out some high ranking terrorists, but Hamas still rules Gaza. The Islamic Jihad is still there. As I just said, the second biggest terrorist organization. They still have thousands of rockets. How long will there be quiet in the south? Will it be a week? Will they try to fire on Jerusalem Day this Thursday evening, Friday? Will it be a month of quiet, three months of quiet? We grow through this we go through this time after time after time. And again, I don't want to see IDF boots on the ground in Gaza. Don't get me wrong, because if that happens, the way things are, it will be the IDF soldiers fighting against Hamas and PAJ on behalf, really, of the Palestinian Authority. I still say Israel needs to Israel needs to defeat our enemies, and if they're not going to do it through military might, if they're going to end these rounds after several days, I say force a revolution there in Gaza. Stop supplying Gaza with electricity and building materials and everything else they need. If they need things, let them go to Egypt. But they're taking what we give them. Building terrorist tunnels, manufacturing rockets, enough. Enough is enough. Turn off the water already. Turn off the power. And let the people there overthrow their terrorist leaders. Let them revolt against the terrorist organizations and come begging for Israel to reassume control over that area. We left Gaza in 2005, and it has become the biggest failure in the history of this country, perhaps aside from the failed Oslo Accords. This did not have to happen. In Judea and Samaria, as tough as things get, the IDF can still, and they do and they do this on a nightly basis, make arrests every single night. The brave men and women of the IDF are defending us, are making arrests, are preventing terrorist attacks. But we can't get into Gaza because we left. There are no soldiers in Gaza. And there are no communities in Gaza. So let's undo that mistake. Let's rebuild Gush Katif. Let's give the IDF the ability to fight terror if necessary. Again, to be clear, no boots on the ground just to bolster the PA. But let's undo the injustice of 2005 and allow Jews to once again live in Gaza. This is how it works. You have Jewish communities, and naturally the soldiers are there protecting those communities. And it also gives us the soldiers the ability to fight terrorism. Not like now, where the terrorists can do what they want in Gaza.
Folks, I'm sad to say whether you see this latest round as a victory or perhaps a partial victory, it's just a matter of time before the residents in the South have to go back to the bomb shelters. It's very, very sad, but that's the reality. Let's start by encouraging the people in Gaza who've had enough themselves to overthrow those who use their homes and neighborhoods as rocket launching pads. I think that's what we have to do. I think that's, that is the way. Let them overthrow their leaders. Let's rebuild Gush Katif. Let's go back into Gaza and undo, arguably, the biggest mistake or one of the biggest mistakes we have made as a nation. And that is my take on this past round. We had, here in Gush Etzion, we had one rocket, and it was a really big deal, right? It's unimaginable what it's like for the people down in the south and in Sterot and all the other kibbutzim down there who have undergone and have endured through tens of thousands of rockets since 2001. 22 years of rockets. It's not normal. It's not acceptable. But that is the reality. And they may have a few weeks or months of quiet and, uh, until the next time when something happens and the terrorists decide once again to launch rockets. Some of those rockets actually fell short. A bunch of rockets in the hundreds fell short and landed in Gaza. And Arabs in Gaza were killed as a result of their friends and leaders firing rockets at Israel. On that note, the Jerusalem Post yesterday reported that the Palestinian Center for Human Rights, which is based in Gaza, has confirmed that some of those Arabs killed and injured in the latest round of fighting between Israel and Islamic Jihad were hit by rockets fired by the Arabs themselves. Hamas was not too happy that they published this report. They accused this human rights center of, quote, lack of patriotism. And if I was a member of this Palestinian Center for Human Rights, I would keep my mouth shut. I'd be quiet. Okay, Hamas denounced the media office. Um, rather, Hamas, rather Hamas's media office denounced the center and said it was not authorized to reach such conclusions. So here you have a, an Arab organization admitting that the rockets killed Arabs, men, women, and children in Gaza, rockets that fell short. And if I were them, I'd just be quiet because you're dealing with Hamas here. But even they, on the other side, are admitting that they've killed their own, trying to murder Jews here in the state of Israel. But the anti-Israel haters, by the way, they ignore all this. They ignore the fact that they murdered their own. They ignore the fact that these terror leaders use their own people as human shields. That's never reported. Everything is Israel's fault. Israel, Israel, Israel. When their own leadership is holding them hostage, and that's why they have to go. Using them as human shields, firing, committing the double war crime of firing rockets at Israel, at Israeli civilian population centers from their own civilian population centers. And that is the reality. Israel's five-day offensive in Gaza, reported here by Times of Israel, has 
reversed weeks of slipping popularity ratings for Prime Minister Netanyahu and his Likud party. A series of lightning polls indicated yesterday. Surveys released Sunday evening by channels 12, 13, and the Khan public broadcaster showed Likud faring better than in a string of recent polls. Although, according to the polls, the party and its current coalition partners would still fall short of the support needed to form a government were an election held today, according to the surveys. All right, so those are the latest stats. Now, of course, I take these polls with a grain of salt. We don't know what the numbers really are. And on the other side, actually, there are those who accuse Prime Minister Netanyahu of launching the Gaza operation as a political move to bolster his poll numbers. But is it really, does it really mean anything right now? At the end of the day, right now, from where I'm sitting, things look pretty stable with our government. Again, this is Israel. It could change at any moment. Um, but things remain stable, even though polls indicate that the prime minister wouldn't do as good this time around. If there were elections today, it doesn't matter. His coalition, assuming they pass the state budget here coming up in the next couple of weeks, is stable. And uh, they have, you know, can't make a prediction, but there's a very good chance they will last the full four years. I don't think that's happened in a very long time. We will have to wait and see. Today, folks, is May 15th. I mentioned it at the top. Today is what is known as Nakwa Day. Arabs call it the catastrophe. What is the catastrophe? Israel was formed. The Arabs tried to throw the Jews into the sea in 1948, and they failed. The Arabs were told by their leaders to leave. They would come back when the Jews were dead, and they failed. And somehow, this Nakba Day is being commemorated at the United Nations. I guess maybe it shouldn't be too much of a surprise. In other words, as Israel's minister to the UN, Gilad Erdan, said, it is appalling and repulsive that the UN would mark the establishment of one of its member states as a catastrophe. And that is what the UN is doing. I believe the event is actually happening today on Nakba Day. The J-Post reported this morning that attendance at a Nakba Day event at the UN will only increase tensions between Israel and the uh, PA Ambassador to the UN Gilad Erdogan warned member states in a letter he sent on Sunday. Erdogan railed against the anti-Semitic event, called to declare Israel's establishment a catastrophe, a Nakba, saying he is working to ensure member states understand that attending this despicable event means destroying any chance of peace. Now, I wouldn't go down that route, and I understand what he's doing, okay? I wouldn't say... If you go to this event, you're destroying any peace because any type of negotiation with the PA is not going to lead you anywhere. I wouldn't go down this route, but I guess he's being PC about it. As I said before, Nakba Day marks what the Arabs consider to be the, the uh, I can't even talk, the catastrophe of Israel's founding in the War of Independence that led to the displacement of 750,000 Arabs, many at the encouragement of Arab leaders who promised they would be able to return after the Jews were defeated, as I said before. And there's Gilad Erdan's quote here, the thought that an international organization could mark the establishment 
of one of its member states as a catastrophe or disaster is both appalling and repulsive, Erdogan wrote. This event is a blatant attempt to distort history, neglecting the fact that those who paint themselves as the victims were actually the aggressors who initiated a five-front war on the newly established state of Israel. This horrifying falsification must not be condoned in any way, shape, or form. So that part I agree with. I wouldn't have mentioned that uh, going to this event is just going to bring us further away for pe- from peace. I would just say that this event exposes who the other side is, marking the state of Israel's establishment as a disaster 75 years later. And they do this each and every year. They mark and commemorate what they call the catastrophe. And so many anti-Israel haters, are, and even Jews, are going along with this and talk about how this has to be a commemorated event, and we have to recognize the other side. And that, they try to throw us into the sea, literally. They try to murder us. They wanted to carry out a genocide here. Right after the Holocaust, they wanted another attempted genocide, and literally to throw the Jews into the sea. They failed. They launched a war of aggression and failed. And those who are supporting this Nakba business should be ashamed of themselves and are on the wrong side of history. Yet this event will take place at the United Nations, that that fair and balanced body which does so much good in the world and stops so many bad things from happening and does just great work, obviously being sarcastic. I mean, what have they done? What did they do in Syria? What have they done for Syria? What did they do in Rwanda back in the day? Wars raging all over the world. But the focus, the obsession, always on Israel. Always, always disproportionately focused on the one and only Jewish state. But that's what we get from the UN and the EU and some in the State Department and many others. We are the obsession of the world. This tiny little country. People who made the desert bloom and drain the swamps. The focus of the world is on Israel. Here we are after 75 years and 56 years of liberating Jerusalem and the rest of the areas which form our biblical heartland. That's what this week is all about. Speaking of biblical heartland, Jerusalem Post reported here, the population of Israelis uh, residing in Judea and Samaria, they say the West Bank, I don't use that word, makes up more than half a million, according to a report published this past week by the Yesha Council. The report found as of January of this year, the Israeli population in Judea, Samaria, and the Jordan Valley stands at 502,678 residents in over 150 communities. Let's hope those numbers keep going up and up and up. Let's get to a million. Let's get to two million. Let's get to three million. There's plenty of land here, folks. There's plenty of land here in Judea and Samaria for Jews to build. Let's get there. Let's get millions of people living in this this beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Moving on here, uh, the IDF border police in Shinbet arrested on Sunday, the terrorists who injured two IDF soldiers in a shooting in Khawara in March, according to a joint statement from the various security forces. Uh, they were arrested in the two terrorists arrested in Shrem. They were in possession of uh, M16 rifle, ammunition, 
probably planning their next attack. And thank God the brave men of the IDF, men and women of the IDF, along with the border police and the Shin Bet and all the relevant forces, capturing these two evil people. Uh, JNS reports here that the Palestinian Authority on Sunday are great peace partners, right, who are commemorating the Nakba and who do whatever they can to undermine the state of Israel. They requested that the International Criminal Court issue an arrest warrant for Israeli National Minister of Security, Itamar Ben-Gvir. What did he do wrong? He called for a counter-terror operation in Judea and Samaria. This reported by the Jerusalem Post. Again, this is a JNS article quoting or citing the Jerusalem Post. In an interview with local media following Operation Shield and Arrow, that was the name of this past operation in Gaza, Ben Gvir praised as good and important the targeted killing of six top PIJ terrorists, adding the next operation must be in Judea and Samaria. So he basically said, we need to fight terror. I could summarize what he said. We need to fight terror wherever it is. North, south, east, west, Judea, Samaria, Gaza. We need to fight terror. And the PA wants to take him to the International Criminal Court for making this statement. And again, I, I don't know, you know where this is going to go. Every time Ben Gvir opens his mouth, the world is listening and they condemn him. Let's see where this story goes. Let's see what happens. Israel is not a part of the International Criminal Court. But let's see how relevant this story is as time goes on. Um, let's finish with two positive stories. Number one, I-24 reports, and I actually watched this on Saturday night. Israel's pop star Noah Kirel finished third in the Eurovision Song Competition with her tune called Unicorn. The winner was Swedish singer Laureen. Sweden wins, claiming historic their historic seventh victory. Kirel finished with 362 points overall. And she, she did an amazing job. She could have won. It was uh, an impressive performance. Sadly, she didn't win. Finland finished second. Again, Sweden number one, Finland two, Israel three. But uh, congratulations to Noah Kirel. Prime Minister Netanyahu praised Kirel in a tweet saying, good job, Noah Kirel, you're phenomenal. For us, you'll always be number one. So that's some good news there. Israel represented on the international stage. And a lot, a lot of politics, by the way, go, it goes into these votes. All the Scandinavian countries, by the way, they all vote for each other. I mean, it's obvious. It's blatant. It's not, like, not even a secret anymore. You know that like all these countries, uh, Finland and Norway and Sweden and Denmark, all these countries, they all just you know, exchange votes regardless of the performance. A lot of politics are involved in the voting, but I'm not saying the Swedish performance uh, wasn't deserving, but obviously I would have liked to see Israel win the uh, competition, but uh, very, very respectable finish. The bronze medal, if you will, third place for Noah Kirel in Israel at the Eurovision for those who care. A lot of people can't stand the competition. Want to have, have, want to have nothing to do with it. Somehow, somehow I saw a BBC headline asking why Israel's even invited. I mean, this is Israel's 50th, 50th time that Israel's been in the competition. And somehow, even though Australia, which is not in Europe, is in it. And again, I don't know how that works. 
but somehow Israel's participation was being questioned by the BBC. I didn't even take the time to, or bother reading that article, I should say. Just another hit piece on the state of Israel. And finally, one last uh, article here. Times of Israel reports Israeli judoka Inbar Lanier won a gold medal on Friday at the World Judo Championships in Qatar. Lanier, 23 years old, defeated France's Audrey Chuemino. I can't even pronounce the name. Chuemio in the finals of the 78-kilogram weight class. She defeated, uh, Lanier defeated four opponents, including the number one ranked competitor from Italy. So congratulations to Inbar Lanier, gold medalist at the World Judo Championships. We are proud. Israel's a, a, just a judo juggernaut, I would say. Israel's won many, many competitions and Olympic medals and whatnot in the sport of judo. So those who think, thinks, those who think rather that we're not fighters or Jews can't fight, go take a look at our record at the uh, on the judo mat. Jews can fight, folks. And whether it's judo or whether it's fighting for our survival each and every day, uh, thank God we have the state of Israel and the army, the IDF, protecting us, defending us, and we will prevail. We will prevail. And sometimes it's harder than other times, especially when thousands and thousands of people are down and living in their bomb shelters for days. But at the end of the day, folks, I am confident that we will prevail. And that's going to do it for today. Monday, the 15th of May, 2023, the 24th of ER, 5783, another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Thank you to Ben Bresky, engineer extraordinaire, Tabitha Epstein, for everything she does behind the scenes here at the network. Get in touch with me during the week, Josh at thelandofisrael.com on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Love it, hate it, anything in between. Comments, feedback, questions, whatever it is, get in touch with me. Everyone out there in the wonderful world of ours, have a wonderful Yom Yerushalayim Jerusalem Day this Friday, Thursday night and Friday. And most importantly, be safe. Shalom, shalom from Gush Etzion, Judea, just south of Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Have a great week, everybody. The Land of Israel Network is your connection to Israel and the Jewish world. Listen to our show hosts, Ari Abramowitz, Jeremy Gimpel, Eve Harrow, Josh Haston, Mike Foyer, Yishai Fleischer, and more keeping you up to date on news, politics, and spirituality. That's the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Broadcasting the truth and beauty of Israel to the world.